All right. Hello, and welcome to Token Theater, a Mediaversity podcast about representation on film. My name is Aditya Joshi, and joining me today, he has just come from sleeping outside New York City Hall, my friend, activist and actor, Jonathan Peck. Hey, JP, how you doing? Doing good, man. Thank you for having me today. Of course. Um, I, you and I have been talking about you being on this podcast for a while, almost since its inception, uh, and our, our movie choices have changed a few times, but I think today we've settled on a pretty great option um, because... It is a great movie that is also super timely. Um, today we're talking about The Hate You Give, the young adult adaptation from a few years ago starring Amanda Stellenberg. Um, and it is a movie about a girl who watches her best friend get killed by police um, for at, at like a routine traffic stop and her journey to activism and self-acceptance and an understanding of what it means to be um, black in a super white space, a deeper understanding of that. Uh, did, I, did I miss anything there in the summary, JP? That about touches a lot of it, and as well as how people of color as, or black people in general have to navigate through the world knowing and understanding how police interact with them, view them, and treat them. If you haven't seen it, it's on almost everyone's, you know, things you should watch and things you should read right now list. So if you're listening and you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. Um, just like all the movies we do on this podcast, we'll be diving into spoilers and deep into the themes of the movie. Um, so it will be very helpful to have watched it. But even if you haven't seen it, um, the things we're going to be talking about today reflect the experience of every black person in this country and to a lesser extent every person of color and so I think they're really important uh, topics to discuss so I'm glad I have JP on um, to talk about them. JP before we dive too deep into the movie and the themes of The Hate You Give why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself how you identify? Mm. Um, great question. Um, I grew up and was born in Queens, Cambria Heights um, New York City and for the first decade of my life, and then I moved to Long Island, the very border of it, in a town called Elmont, town of Hempstead, right across from the Belmont racetrack. Um, uh, it's it's been a a wild time. I register or look at myself as a African American, which as of late has been something I've often questioned or have thought about whether or not that is my true place in this country because I know my parents both have very mixed backgrounds but um, as a Jamaican St. Lucian and many other things <laughs> in the long list of, of what is my nationality those are the ones we primarily um, use in my household but of course on censuses and voting and, and everywhere else in applications, the option that's only there is either mixed, other, or African-American. So it's always been a struggle in the American confines mm -hmm. what I would really associate myself as. Yeah. Um, so that makes a ton of sense. I think there's probably a whole another podcast worth of conversations to be had about the way that we group 
people of color and immigrants in this country, those who are, we, you know, African-Americans who are actually Caribbean, like, but are, you know, ancestrally African. Then there are South Asians and Asians who are from Africa and white Latinos and all these things that we never take the nuance into account when we're, when we're thinking about, you know, identity markers for, for people in our community. But let's, let's talk a little bit about The Heat You Give. What was it, you know, this movie came out a few years ago um, and I think made a mark, but, but has now kind of re-entered the public consciousness in a big way. Uh, made f- free for streaming on Juneteenth, which is actually how I, I watched it um, on demand. And yeah, I mean, it, it is, you know, it's, it's a, a movie on everyone's, on everyone's lips right now. What was it like the first time you saw it? I guess like before the second wave of the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, it was in a unshocking way not surprising Mm -hmm. um it was more or less a different day but same routine of of what we've been experiencing all our lives in just another different faceted story and how the people who are in that world react to it i think at this point, we've gotten to a point in our country where, funny enough, people were becoming desensitized to the idea of all these um, movies that show and demonstrate the African-American struggle dealing with police brutality and the ways we have to navigate and control ourselves in being safe in what we say, how we dress... Um, where we go and um, it's it's completely been a experience for me because no matter how many times you hear about it or 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 a new movie is made it still hits um, a deep deep spot in in my soul as as a Caribbean American where you know this is the life you live all the time. Mm-hmm. This is things we have to experience where I know me as a black individual who drives my own car that I have a brush and not using that brush as a normalized habit in front of a police officer is reaching for something that could be suspicious and that's something I got to think about three, four times over where I place my wallet, can't have it in my back pocket. There is no way in which any situation we walk out of these without adhering to every whim and escaping those situations with our lives. It's uh, a scary thing to think about every time you watch a movie like this where you know once you start watching it at some point in the movie, the altercation that's coming Mm -hmm is going to set you off in in all the ways. It's just a matter of who set it off, how they set it off, and what's going to happen afterwards. That, that's actually, that's a really interesting point, that last thing you said, where you're always on edge. I mean, obviously, the hate you give, you know from the trailer that someone's going to die. The thing that struck me, after Star's friend Khalil dies, um, you know, her brother Seven is another young black man, even though he goes to a private school and, like, has all the markers that white America... And I guess like generally not black America looks for as like, you know, what they consider to be like an, a model Obama black person. 
you still like I was worried the entire movie that either him or Mav, Star's dad, were going to be killed by police or by the gangs or whatever. And I think that's that's a reflection both of like the weariness that you spoke of, like the knowingness of what this culture does to people who look like that, to young black men. Um, and also, you know, this is maybe another conversation, but the way that we portray black people on screen is like mostly suffering, mostly dealing with systemic racism that's like so visceral and violent, like police brutality. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that, that totally registers and, and makes sense. Um, you know, usually I would ask you about, uh, <laughs> about what the, um, what your, what your view of representation was like before this movie, but I don't really think that that's the conversation we should be having right now. I, I kind of want to hear, we can get right into it. Star makes this transformation from someone who operates in primarily white spaces and keeps her head down and code switches hard, um, to someone who, by the end of the movie, is taking on a very heavy activist role. You recently underwent a similar kind of political awakening. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that and how, it, you know, how stars, the parallels between stars' journey and your journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one thing to think about in reference to that, I, it had never really crossed my mind is that in her journey it kind of starts off the same exact way where once this incident takes place the loss of a friend or the loss of a black individual within your community or in your country you kind of just navigate it the way you know how it's it's just another day you you carry on you're quiet you keep to yourself you mourn amongst your people um, the more you watch the way the media portray the events that happen, how they happen, and and how it went down compared to your truth, the truth you know, being in that situation, breathing that situation, it becomes unacceptable. It becomes a lie you refuse to live with that ignites that fire that you cannot let someone else tell false truths to tell a part of what happens to be your story in a way that seems to make everyone else watching feel comfortable in a normalized state in which these situations happen i think that when that happens when there are some things you can't no longer bottle up and i think one of the really good things the movie did was put a, a microscope on the family end, how they chose to navigate the world, how Mav taught his children at an early age how to address officers, taught them their black history, taught them the ways in, in which if a situation occurs with an officer of the law, these are the ways in which you navigate them. And another wonderful side is from their uncle, Common, who is a police officer, explains to them how an officer in those situations should be thinking or how it is assumed they are thinking when these situations arise. And those are not the things I'm seeing today, we're seeing today. And for me, I was always desensitized to the amount of black death on Facebook and Instagram and 
believing that in a state of helplessness, there's nothing I can really do. It's just another case in which you hear about it for a week, and then you don't hear anything about those cases again, whether families get their reparations, and this time around, hoping that it is no longer intolerable, hoping that the right course of actions happen, they don't. Mm-hmm. And when people come together as a group in no longer wanting to tolerate this kind of behavior, there's much more at stake. It's all black life. And then realizing you get this glass-shattering, eye-opening ordeal in how those you've considered friends and family operate in these situations. You start to see people's true colors and you start to realize how comfortable people have been in in your pain Mm -hmm. you know this is not something i personally can just sit at home with there are millions of people who have never protested in their life i being one of them and i'm now in a position to say i have a voice i can use my voice and i think especially as an artist who uses the stage or the camera to storytell, to give a cathartic experience to our audiences, to feel, to have an understanding of the world through a different set of eyes, that this was a time, more than ever, to use my abilities, my, my talents as a black individual and an artist to say, I will tolerate this no more. And those who know me, who talk to me, who believe in me, once they know that I've gotten up and I'm no longer saying I'm tolerating it or tolerating the behavior of comfortability and white privilege no longer, that I can no longer be in silence because it was just what was accepted, then things are going to have to change. One way or another, there is no going backwards from here. And I think that was the biggest biggest thing for me in, in never looking at myself as an activist, but as a human being who will not tolerate civil injustices, systematic oppression, systematic racism. And I just I just think that as well as what Star was fighting for, that you reach a place where you can no longer sit with your grief, sit with your pain, where no one else is is suffering like you are, especially when nothing is being done to make these families feel any better. Something about Star's journey that is so, I think, relevant today, to your point, is like, Star doesn't really... I mean, she starts using her voice to get justice for her friend. And then when that justice is delayed, when there's no indictment, right, of the officer who killed him, that's when she realizes that the normal mechanisms that we operate within, which many activists these days are rightfully saying are mechanisms that only exist to control uh, resistance, uh, will never be the way in which to enact like real widespread trans- transformative change. And so it's really interesting to hear your, your personal, I guess, like evolution there because, you know, you, you mentioned it, you're an actor, you're a writer, 
um, you studied philosophy in college, like you, you, I think have operated in a lot of like pretty white spaces and, and put up with a lot on that front and knowing that other, just like, I guess to draw the, the parallel to art, just like, you know, as a writer, you write because you like to write, but also because you want to perform and you want to be able to tell your stories. Nobody's going to tell your stories for you. And I think what Star realizes and what sounds like you have kind of come to agree with is that nobody's going to fight for you either. It's like, if you want real change to happen, that's only going to come from the people who, it's going to be driven by people who, um, who need the change to happen, even if it's going to require allies, like, like you talked about, require allies to, to get done. Um, let's talk a little bit, you also mentioned, you talked about Carlos, uh, Common's character and his portrayal as what a cop can be. But also, I think something that's really smart about the movie is that they, you know, they have a black cop who is um, empathetic and who is, you know, we like him. He's like a good character and he's clearly cares a lot about his community and about his family. But you see immediately he's like disdained by the people in the black community where he no longer lives or feels safe to live. And then also, like, Star, when he tries to explain to Star, like, his mentality, like you talked about, it is so evident that even the best people in the wrong institutions can be corrupted by the way that we have mm-hmm. built norms in those institutions. Yeah. Um, it's appalling and shocking to to witness those kinds of things and in the past two weeks um i have witnessed for myself what that can look like to be on the front lines in the beginning the very first weekend of protesting um for george floyd and for all black lives it's apparent that these officers if not corrupted, are not autonomous. They are not in a position to make choices for themselves. And if they were, which is more horrifying, that if they were, that they choose to stand in a position where it becomes abundantly clear how horrific they truly are as an organization and all those around them who aren't like that who are watching committing that bystander effect are just as bad and as culpable as all the other officers committing those crimes because they're not doing anything about it they're not holding their other officers accountable you watch it time and time again in a situation where you can just look at an officer commit an act in which anyone any clear person would say that's not okay. Let's take a step back, assess the situation, but it's forward momentum. It's mm-hmm. there is no stopping until it is silenced, until it is ended. This is every night. This is what we're seeing. This is what we're dealing with. This is what we have to go home with. Having the meltdowns, having the post-traumatic sleepless nights, having to deal with the bruises and the pain and the 12 to 18 hours Overholding in jail cells with no water, no food, and being slapped with fines or all of the above in which they choose to exhaust and oppress. And until after a week and a half, once they had to install a curfew, 
which still did not work the way they wanted it to, you can see how the organization changed, how they chose to handle themselves in better light after all of their methods and how they chose to respond to these marches deteriorate. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing to me is that, I mean, all of that is interesting, but something that we're seeing now, which we've never, I have never seen before, I feel like, though it was always there under the surface, is this like performative activism from the police, which is like a really interesting thing. Um, I mean, we're seeing people kneeling, right? Cops kneeling and like linking arms and saying shit, right? And, and it's all in the same way, kind of to link it back to the hit you give, it, it reminds me of the way that stars white classmates, you know, use the protests as a way to further their own kind of whims. Um, cops are performing as, you know, and maybe they are allies, some of them, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're performing this, this allyship in order to save their own reputations and save their own jobs and save their own funding. And STARS classmates are performing allyship to look woke and to get out of tests and to have something to talk about. And I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the performative allyship of the movie and how that has compared to, I don't know how much you've actually been able to be like on social media, given you've been out protesting almost every day for the last three weeks, but how you think that reflects, and if it does reflect, what we're seeing right now in in our society, among our friends, among our peers, just among the news, anything. It's it's crazy to say that they're not so far apart, especially in the beginning, where white allyship becomes this. I'm suddenly awake now. I I see the error in my ways, in my family's ways, and how I've been navigating so comfortably amongst my friends and co-workers in, in all of their hurt and pain. And to some extent, they have used and can use social media as what we call echo chambering, this ability to say, I f- feel like I'm doing something. I am addressing, I'm asking questions, I'm asking what can I do to my fellow black friends, black community members, how can I culture myself, how can I educate myself, and ask black community members how they can educate themselves on their own country's history (laughs) of oppression and systematic racism in which they have all been taught in, in which their white privilege grants them to navigate comfortably and not have to think about those things on a regular basis. So, and then there are those who are truly for the cause. They are truly, they understand that this is our time Mm -hmm. to give all melanated voices a place to be heard, a place to have a platform and no longer be silenced and feel seen. Something majority of all black people, especially in poor income housing, don't have those opportunities They've been forever silenced and never had an outlet Mm -hmm. to speak on on anything they may be going through because no one wants to listen to them. Taking care of their family, using drug money, having to loot and steal to provide their daughter's next meal, 
those are not situations we created for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't do that for the sake of wanting to do that. Those are the situations that have been given to us and within the confines of clawing our way to get into the right side of society to fit in to get the degree to follow the system's educational rules to find and get a career in which someone else controls how much money i get paid and what i can do with my money there are a couple things in there that i that really struck me one one of them that i want to talk about a little bit first is this the systemic endless cycle that comes with that thing you said about, you know, we didn't put ourselves in these positions. Like, it's not our fault that that we end up at, like, the, you know, the schools with the least funding. It's not our fault that you've put us in neighborhoods with, you know, houses that aren't as nice and aren't, you know, are, like, old and falling apart. It's like, there's systemic issues here. And, and if you try to say, I don't see color, which is something that you hear a lot, you've heard a lot, you know, everyone's heard a lot for the last, like, however many years. And then um, KJ Appa's character, uh, Star's boyfriend, says in the limo at prom and the hit you give, it's like, then you're ignoring all of those things. And I think that Star has a really good answer to that in the movie, which is, if you don't see my blackness, then you don't see me, um, which is a line I really, really, really like. Um, and then, of course, he does that cheesy ass, I see you, I see you. And you're like, do you? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think... I think that's like really important. And the other, the, the conversation that, that reminds me of is, I think it's on the couch. I think there's a conversation on the couch that Mav has with his kids about kind of like the endless cycle of trapping mm-hmm. and the system failing poor black people. It's like the lack of opportunities and the lack of infrastructure means that the only way to provide for a family, like with, with, with Khalil, right? He like has to start selling drugs because his grandma has cancer and they don't have healthcare. And it's like, there's no opportunity for them to get healthcare. Um, so we, you just cycle people into this culture of trapping, which cycles them into a, a prison industrial complex that treats them as expendable and is like the new slavery, new Jim Crow. It's like a crazy, a crazy thing to see articulated like that because I don't think it's never anything that you're taught about growing up. You, you know, I didn't learn about redlining until I was in college. I didn't learn, you know, we learned about the civil rights movement and MLK. We don't learn that 20%, only 20% of people in the U.S. approved of MLK's actions at the time of his death, you know. We don't learn about Black Panthers. We don't learn about you know, Huey Newton, we don't learn about Marcus Garvey, we don't learn about any of these people mm-hmm. that were on the forefront of the revolution. We also don't learn about why they were fighting for equality beyond like drinking fountains and slavery, which is crazy. And I, I think that this movie does a really good job, um, which is shocking considering it's like a YA novel, of articulating all of that stuff in a way that is clear without being preachy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does a very good job great job in articulating the the aspect of how to deal with it as a family how they process the situation and it shows very much how There's another way to fight the system and not be a part of the problem. 
not giving the other side, white people, the the government, the system, another reason to gun us down mm-hmm. or to apprehend us, detain us. You, as you said, you think about the fact that solely history is written by the victors, all right? To say we may have handled this very poorly, this is the way we should have handled it. No, you don't get the challenged state of mind. You get this is the information and you're going to absorb it. This is your history. There's nothing else you need to know that's important. And if you want any other information, you have to go out of your way to find it. Right. Outside of family, outside of libraries, outside of school. It's not part of our our agendas, our curriculums. Mm-hmm. There's 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 so much we have to teach you that black history in and of itself, in our place in our history, just clearly doesn't fit within the confines of things you have to know. Yeah, and it's and it's crazy. I was watching a a highlight on Twitter of this uh, writer for Daisies and Marrow. I'm sure maybe you've seen this. Um, she interviews like white women, basically, um, and the interviews are hilarious. But one of the things that she asks is like, "Who are these five people?" And it's Malcolm X, MLK. But then it, like Marcus Garvey, Huey Newton, and I can't remember Louis Farrakhan are a couple like big names in the in you know, the, the Black Liberation Movement, the Black Panthers, like, um, and Alison Roman, who's a like I'm not even sure why she's famous. She's like cookbook, she writes cookbooks or something for the New York Times. Um, she said something which she got rightfully roasted for on Twitter, but. I was like, man, honestly, like, there's not a high, not a low chance that if I was in the same spot, I would have said something similar. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, who is? It may have been, it may have been like Garvey. Like, who is Marcus Garvey? And Alison Roman was like, I don't know, but there's like a park named after him. There's like a street named after him in Harlem. You know, and it's like that is, I think, like the extent to which a lot of people know the revolutionaries of. Of, um, of of black history, but of course, but more broadly of of minority history in this country. I mean, even like how many founding fathers can any normal person name? Like probably like five to ten. How many people can they name from the suffrage suffrage movement? Like the less women's suffrage, right? Less than three. Like you know, how many people can they name outside of MLK from the civil rights era? How many Native American chiefs can they name? Like, there are so many things that you're just like, who are we thinking about? Who are we learning about in this yeah. country? And it, it so shapes how we think about who this country is for. If we've learned that the country was founded by Washington, Madison, Hamilton, Jefferson, and built by FDR and Rockefeller and Carnegie, you know, and then in the modern day, like, shaped by Gates, Jobs, Bezos, right, in tech, like, right. how are we going to think about what who this country should be catering, catering to and who this country was built for our educational systems for the most part you are taught to again not think for yourself mm-hmm. you are and it shows today where you have millions of individuals asking to learn more about history history that should have be common knowledge right like watch 13th it's about it's I think it's been out for almost five, six years now. And it's about the 13th Amendment, yeah. which is a 200-year-old... Yeah. You to know. now see things that Trump has said, to now see situations 
in which these conversations have already been had and it's now shocking and opening your eyes to this world that was always always there you know Mm -hmm. the veil has just been lifted up in front of your very comfortable seats Mm -hmm. and you're just like what is this Mm -hmm. I, i can't navigate the way i want to anymore i can't just go grab my starbucks coffee the way i used to it's like and then you put all of that amidst a pandemic in which people are confined in their homes where now they have no choice but to digest nothing but information Mm -hmm. now is a better time than ever to just be like well i know my country better than ever what the f is this right and and you dialed in on something there that i really want to hit on which is you use the word comfort and comfortable homes and comfortable lives and comfortable you didn't say this but you know comfortable ignorance i think Mm -hmm. this is not just white people this is people of color about other people of color this is straight people about lgbtq people this is like and and erasure of the black trans women who started pride like this is everything about our history and everything about our the way our society is set up is is catered to make the most powerful people comfortable which like makes sense if you think about it like who runs the country you know rich white men Mm -hmm. and who wants to be comfortable like rich white men so why do we have increased police presence in minority neighborhoods to keep white people comfortable why did redlining start to make sure white people were comfortable and their housing prices stayed up? Why was segregation a thing for, for the comfort of white people, right? Like, and even now, like it's black activists are still, even in their outrage and their righteous anger, doing things in such a way that, that it require that, that they're enabling white comfort because it's a necessary evil to get anything done. Like if you, you can make white people uncomfortable, but you have to do it by easing them in. It's like, here's a long, you know, I'm a black person who knows my history and knows how hard it is to be black in America, but you don't. So here's 10 books to read. Like it shouldn't be on black activists and black people generally. Like you shouldn't be asking your black friends like, Hey, do you have any books about what it's like to be you? You know, like that's not a thing that, that we should be forcing on people of color, but it is a thing that we're doing. And the heat you give talks about that too. It's like, Sabrina Carpenter's character is the closest thing we get to like a, a real like racist, mm-hmm. um, and and it's just like she's like, what about the cops family? Like you know we have to worry about them too, and that's again it's just like this white guy killed a black kid, but we're worried about his comfort yeah. and how his family is going to deal with it yeah. instead of worrying about like Star says, what about Khalil's family? Yeah. You know, yeah, there is a sense of what we choose to direct our uh, focuses on to feel comfortable, especially I can't speak to the white um, side of things, but I can say, as I've learned through going through all of these protests the last few weeks, that we as black people have adopted white people's comfort. We've been oppressed for so long, we shut ourselves up. We figured, what is it going to do but put us in a position to further be silenced? Mm -hmm. To further be in a position where we look like the thug. We look like the hoodlum. We look like just another rap star, another athlete. Anything that has already labeled us not as fit for society as they have been. in Mm -hmm. Doctors, nurses, lawyers. And you think about the fact that 
this is what it's come to where we have to have these conversations about how we're going to navigate our conversations in the future, Mm -hmm. how we choose to talk about things, what we choose to be educated about. And if I have to embarrass you by asking you three things about black history Mm -hmm. that literally go over your head that should be common knowledge, then it only goes to show that how much of, of what you've been taught and what you chose to learn for yourself further proves the way this has all been set up. And I mean, sure, we could talk about countless scenarios in which we've been set up for failure. Mm -hmm. Crack epidemic, um, Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Civil War, Selma. Um, You can think about so many scenarios in which we've been deemed set up for complete and utter failure to be erased in, in the most passive way possible the the path of least resistance where we cause the destruction amongst ourselves Mm -hmm. you know that way there is no white person to look to you've been the monsters the whole time look Mm -hmm. at how you act right look at how you navigate our streets Mm -hmm. yeah you you watch the sad part is you can watch all of these every person we've just named you can watch all of them die at anytime right now mm-hmm. on on your phone in a matter of seconds you can watch any one of those individuals die in cold blood and n- more than 90% of the officers in those situations have not been convicted mm-hmm. in any capacity whatsoever has any full amount of justice been served for any of those black individuals and though it just hurts to even think about the idea that as you watch these as a black individual you actively look for where we did wrong Mm -hmm. where we did wrong in these videos where at what point did we act hostile did we resist arrest did we cause a official amount of suspicion to warrant a search and seizure at at what point do you just look at an individual and then you just take action mm-hmm. i mean it's it's that, that it goes back to the thing that mav says at the beginning of the movie right the first conversation in the whole movie is like do not give them a reason don't give them a reason because i mean what it comes down to is most of the time they don't have a reason to begin with so they're just looking for a reason to weaponize your blackness against you because like like you said earlier and like we see in the movie the media is always going to both sides it they're always going to be like you know this guy he got in school suspension in high school for having his phone on him like you know it's like stupid shit like that that you can't even believe is part of the conversation yeah uh, when the cops having 17 counts of violent Mm -hmm. you know complaints against them aren't in the conversation um I mean, you know, I don't know how much how much more there is to be said about this stuff because it's you're you know you're living it every day and it and it and it's uh you know I <laughs> I had this reaction when you showed up today because I haven't seen you in a couple months and I always forget like because the first since the first time we met you have started working out a ton and you're like super strong working out <laughs> and I always I, I've forgotten that having not seen you for a while and I was like man. JP's jacked. And I was like, man, I wonder if that has made him an object for 
violence at these protests because you're 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 like a soft spoken artistic mm-hmm. like fairly passive and quiet like guy mm-hmm. and but when when you're on the street nobody sees that cuz you're like right. a you're like a jacked black dude yeah um who is like wearing a baseball hat a baseball cap and like a mask and it's like so it was one of those moments where i like just really viscerally felt the impact of having being living in this moment right now because i don't think that that's something though i know it intuitively that's something that i would have really internalized and thought about when i first saw you for the first time in a while had we not been right. in a moment that is forcing us all to have this heightened awareness about yeah. how people are treated yeah. you are no longer in a position to look away at any given point and then you have to check yourself for it at all times and i think that's really important to think about i had this conversation with my dad the other day where he's like i can now walk into a store with a hoodie and a mask on and it's not because i look like a criminal but because there's a pandemic going on and mm-hmm. i can kind of feel okay about it mm-hmm. i can be like everybody's doing it so i'm a little bit safer than i was yesterday right and it it took me so aback at, at how right he was because in this day and age as much as we as black people have checked ourselves for years and being followed in stores and, and mm-hmm. being overlooked and whether or not we can afford something based on how we're dressed mm-hmm. or whether or not we're a threat based on how we dressed or whether or not we're educated based on how we talk it's like you think about all these things that have placed us in all of these positions and how much of it is truly our fault and 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 what it does to us psychologically what it does on our mental how we have to go home and 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 think about this kind of ugliness we have mm-hmm. to deal with night in and night out and whether or not we are in a position to be hostile about it mm-hmm. or just swallow that pill and just be like well it's another day it's just another day of another situation in which I'm just a problem as a black man or a black woman or a black trans or or a member of the queer community. No matter what you 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 do or how you are, there is already a preconceived mm-hmm. idea about you. The deck is stacked. The yeah. deck is stacked against you and it's it's what star I mean that that I guess like resilience and like pushing through and accepting that it's part of being black in America thing. Um the line or the moment that really gets me that in this film is when Star is talking to Issa Rae's like lawyer character and she's like I saw my other best friend killed when I was 10 and it's like we you know throughout the whole movie we know yeah. you know that she's dead right. you never really get how and then you find out it's like a gang murder mm-hmm. gone wrong or something yeah. like that and basically some guy shot her and then she sees Khalil shot by police and she's like 16 years old and she's going to the school full of rich white kids who's you know and honestly like like me growing up whose biggest problem is you know that they uh, their parents won't let them stay out past midnight mm-hmm. and she's seen two of her friends shot and her dad in jail and all of these things and it's not because she deserves it and it's not because those people deserved it necessarily it's because of the way that the deck is stacked and it's just i think it's a it's a moment where everyone who's not black and especially people who are white are being forced like you said to reckon with what 
their identity and the way that they portray and the way that they're portrayed in the world means for how their life is lived Mm -hmm. and the benefits that they get. Like people have always abstractly been like white privilege. Yeah. It means that like, uh, maybe I'm like more likely to get a job because of my resume, my name on my resume, but like, just don't name your kid Deshaun. Like it won't be a big, you know, like that's how people have have been thinking about, but it's obviously goes so much deeper than that. And you know that, and I know that as people who have grown up brown and black in this country. Um, but like, the other thing is that it's really forced like the South Asian community mm-hmm. and the Asian community to like reckon with the relative privilege that we face, com- you know, as opposed to black people and like how we're elevated and used as weapons against the black community. And cause at the end of the day, like our identities are all weaponized mm-hmm. in some way, black people have their identities weaponized to make them look like they're out dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, Asian people and, you know, have this like, devious and Latinos too also to an extent have this like devious striver kind of stealing our jobs, you know, like the immigrant alien bias against them and everyone's identity is weaponized, but, but understanding how you subscribe to other people's, the perception that society has about other people is like a super important thing that this movie talks about, especially because of the context and code switching that star does every day at school. And that like this moment is like forcing upon us. Yeah. Yeah. You think about a wonderful thing you brought up, code switching. The idea that you have to be two separate people. You have to act two or multiple different ways depending on the group of people you're with Mm -hmm. to either be safe, be comfortable, or be acknowledged. The idea that you live in a confined space for all of your life because the fear of being exiled is literally at the forefront of your mind every day Mm -hmm. knowing that Mm -hmm. there are so many layers in which things have been ingrained in our bones that our very own people can't come to love one another and the fact that the same way black people have to have to come together for their own love is the same thing queer trans and the lgbtq plus community have to do for themselves they find love and survival within their own group because that is the only group in which understands their pain and suffering and and nothing else and in in the in this day and age in today and what's going on in trying to combine those two communities and finally beginning those steps forward in accepting all black people for who they are and not the oppressionist view they've given us of those who are outside of what they've deemed normal that heteronormative state of loving another individual to strip them of the idea that any one person can be anything they choose to be Mm -hmm. they have every right as another human being to choose how they want to be to choose whether or not they have a child all of those those topics those things in which there are laws written in to think about the fact right that in this day and age we are still considered three-fifths of man and every what 20 years or so that if you if you think about it no matter the amount of years that takes place for that to kind of be reinstated that we are hereby considered whole persons Mm -hmm. that have the right to vote that those are written words that exist Mm -hmm. in our world that that are a thing as a reminder like it's like a 
because because we forget, because people forget. Yeah. You have to remind them. You have to be like, hey, remember when we decided that we were actually people as well? Yeah. And remember when before that you decided we weren't, and so we had to yeah. actually articulate it in like legal documents. The thing that the thing that really stuck out to me about what you just said, which I want to touch on a bit, mm-hmm. um, in in context of the code switching and the and the and the performance is like. This idea that you are a different person at home, you're a different person at school, you're a different person at work, um, and that only, and that is something that is unique to people of color and that is unique to queer people because if you are too gay at work, it may affect you. If you are too Indian, if you are too black, if you are too Latino at school, people may think certain ways of you. And what this movie talks about, and I wonder if you feel this because I think as I get older and think about it more, I, I definitely internalize this. You start to lose track of which is the real thing. Mm-hmm. Star has her neighborhood and home version of herself. She has her school version of herself. And it's like clear she's more comfortable at home, mm-hmm. but she spends so much time at school and like her, you know, her people, her friends that she spends all of her time with her at school. Yeah. Her boyfriend is at the school. Yeah. And like that version of herself is so present and performed that at a certain point she starts to become that person. Mm-hmm. And so she has these two identities and, and it's, it's a, always a question of like, at what point am I compromising myself? At what point am I, am I, has, has my performance become reality? Yeah. I wonder if you have felt that in your artistic spaces versus your home life versus your school life versus even people like me, friends of yours who aren't black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, for me, absolutely, um, the idea that that's been my entire life to the point that I started to believe code switching as a a normal, okay thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that I can at any time hang out with any said individual or group because I know how to change the way I think and act around this group to always be in a state of peace by not saying certain things around them, by not acting the way I would at home or with my black friends. It's like I have to put on, as you said, a, a performance to to be different, to fit in, because as much as I like this other group of friends, I know that's not how they get down. They will feel slightly odd that they mm-hmm. can't say the things I say or they won't accept me for saying those things as it just being my unique thing. It's like, well, I can't say those. We, we live in a place where it's just like, well, I can't say those things. So now we all kind of just feel weird that mm-hmm. this is some, some, some thing now. And it's, it's like if if I bring one black friend to a artistic venture or a social gathering where I start throwing the N-word around them and I never throw the N-word around my other actor friends, then it's just like, yo, John, like, since when, bro? Like, mm-hmm. like what are you doing? And then for the vice versa effect, for me to act spiritually open and and be as inviting and vulnerable and 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 not as this hard individual Mm -hmm. who has to put up a front and talk shit 24 7 you know it's like both sides are seeing some facet of me of the real thing and not understanding if 
it's all me mm-hmm. or I'm pretending with one group and the other or facing the fact that wow there's parts of John that he won't even share with us mm-hmm. learning to turn that off or get rid of it has been a liberating thing I can just be me at all times and from now on there's zero tolerance mm-hmm. in how you choose to take that especially as an artist it's kind of suffocating you know you want to be able to access all parts of you at all times mm-hmm. you want to be able to to freely express and tell stories in the most vivid experience you can possible not placing restrictions on yourself for you know someone else's comfortability or or making sure that you are in the rights to maintain a relationship or a connection mm-hmm. or or networking properly it it takes away of your your self identity and i constantly have to be in a position where you start thinking about things like when people say you know, you speak so properly, or you, <laughs> it's it's one of those things that you know black people always get, where it's just like, how did you expect us right. to speak? Yeah, yeah. You know, like why is there that kind of questioning in the first place? Mm-hmm. Is there already that preconceived idea of how you've heard black people before? It's that. It's that. I mean, you've seen "Sorry to Bother You." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's that thing. Uh, that performance. That code switching. I mean, it it, it all feels so real, and I think. Hey, you give does a good job of showing how young of an age it shows up, and um, and how it plays out in someone who is operating in a super white space but lives in a super black space at home. We talked a lot. We talked a lot about a lot of these things. Um, are there any other key scenes or characters or things in the movie that you want to touch on before we move on? Um, I think one of the most important ones is the one right at the end where her youngest brother pulls mm-hmm. the gun mm-hmm. on the drug dealer, her, his uncle, who's played by Anthony Mackey. And you realize the shock and appall on everyone's face in that mm-hmm. moment in what's really taking place. You know, the world we've created for someone who shouldn't even be consciously aware of such a an ugly and intolerable thing Mm -hmm. that they wield a weapon of mass destruction capable of taking another life and and this kid's like six and and, yeah and the thing the thing about that moment is it is so shocking and just like the image of it is like burns in your brain immediately and it's the kind of thing actually that if i were writing the story Someone might tell me this seems too far fetched, right? But the the thing is, the movie does a really good job of tying it all back to the central, the central theme of the the plot, which is also in the title, which is what the hate you give little infants fucks everyone, and and the thing is, even though it seems in theory far fetched, the reality is that little kids in this country find themselves with guns every day. And that 10-year-old kids are shot for playing with toy guns in the street. And, like, so even though it is a little child with a gun pointing it at a drug dealer, you know, as someone who lives in this country, that this is definitely something that could and probably has happened, you know. And and it goes back to this thing we talked about earlier, which is, like, the cyclical systemic nature of how we 
restrict spaces and people of color are living in these small boxes because of the comfort the comfort of 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 those in power and um yeah you're right i mean that that scene is just it's a lot to handle i mean obviously like then it ends in like a kind of happy ending way which like maybe not the most realistic <laughs> um but it's nice to see like a, an uplifting small story there there's there is something in that where I think it's it's good that that was the road they went down because you want there to be a semblance of I don't know if correctedness is the word I want to use but the idea that we as a black community can register how we've been set against ourselves. And that the activism and finding your voice and all of that can make a change, yeah. I think is like the, the moral of the story. Obviously, like that kind of thing would be very hard pressed to happen yeah. in a non-movie setting, but it's a young adult novel and it does it really well. And, yeah. and the message that you don't want to send is like, no matter how much you speak, no matter how much you try, the system will always win and the people you love will always die. Right, like even though that may be the reality sometimes, mm -hmm. I think part of what makes this movie powerful is that it can show you that while also showing you that there's like power and and family and hope and yeah. raising your voice and yeah, yeah, it's a great it's a great movie. I'm glad that you picked it for us to talk about. Absolutely, one of the strongest takeaways in all of it is don't forget the message. You know, mm -hmm. don't forget what we're fighting for, what we're doing this for, why we're out here. It's not just to rag and tag and burn shit down, you know? There is a larger theme here. And that's what's happening outside right now, every day. City Hall, Brooklyn, Manhattan, everywhere. Don't forget the message of what we're doing. The, mm -hmm. the importance of this movement right now. Not the moment, but the movement of what's happening right now. Don't lose sight of that. Because it's easy to, inside of all of the, the deaths and the brutality and the, the losses we take, whether in court or in media or at home or with friends and family in silence, don't forget amongst everything what we're ultimately fighting for. Mm -hmm. And that's the main message in that last scene when she's screaming in the protest. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we all doing here? We can all scream and shout at one another, but what are we doing? And that's the main message you want to think about every day moving forward in 2020 amongst everything that's happening is what are we doing? Mm -hmm. And don't lose sight of that. Right. Um, JP, last question that we ask every, every guest on this podcast. Um, we've gotten a little bit from, from this, but you are a filmmaker and you are a writer and you are an actor. Um, how does a movie like The Hate You Give inspire and change the way that you think about your art going forward it movies like the hate you give force me to take all the risks to take and tell the stories i should be telling mm -hmm. that i have to be telling that aren't being told because producers don't want it because studios don't want it but knowing that if the story needs to be told, 
it can get told it will get told you don't need any studios approval you just know like jordan peele has done time and time again with years of having written his own content that there's a point in which you make your own work mm-hmm. you do your own work and when you work that hard when you're motivated inspired and driven to do those things people believe and see that and will will willingly want to see you take those risks and do as much as they can so i think that's one of the biggest takeaways period is that that um movies like get out us the hate you give queen and slim in all all these movies that speak on police brutality and the condition of the black community is that we can tell these stories Mm -hmm. there's a place for them always and the more that it's told the more people can get a better understanding of our history yeah that's a great takeaway uh for a great movie and a great guy jp thanks so much for being here thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure You have been listening to Token Theater, a podcast of representation on film. We are proudly part of the MediaVersityReviews.com network, a website dedicated to film criticism that takes diversity into account. You can find us on the MediaVersity website as well as Spotify, Apple, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's guest was Jonathan Peck. You can find him on Instagram at impeccable underscore timing. Today's movie was The Hate You Give, which was, at the time of this recording, free on many sites. My name is Aditya Joshi. Our producer is Amanda Llewellyn. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.